and welcome to a special one-year anniversary Beer Fucking Podcast. <laughs> Smooth. Yeah, that Smooth. Was <laughs> I was doing a little freelancing there. Shows uh, how, how how much we've matured over these years. That's right. Or how these months, how much I guess. Better it's, got. Uh, it's the Beer Vana Podcast, Jeff. Uh, hello, Patrick. Uh, hi, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing very well here. Uh, You're older and wiser. It's been a year. Can you imagine? I, I just sped by. Yeah. It... It sort of has. Uh, the, uh, let's do the introduction. So uh, you are Jeff Allworth. You are the author of The Beer Bible. Uh, you're the author of Cider Made Simple, uh, both of which are available at your local bookstore and Amazon, pals.com. Yeah. Uh, you blog at, I'm not done yet, Sorry. you blog at Beervana, you tweet at at Beervana, and you write for All About Beer Magazine, both in the blog form and in the magazine form. That's true. All of that's true. And you are uh, Patrick Emerson. You are a professor at Oregon State University. That's right. And a research fellow at C Micro in Sao Paulo, and some unpronounceable thing in Iza and uh, Bonn. What is it? What are the letters? I Z A. I Z A. Iza yeah. or C Micro and Iza. Iza da. If you prefer. Uh, well, <laughs> no, we're Americans. We don't. We don't. We don't go in for that kind of stuff. So uh, it has actually been a year, almost a year. We're recording this on May 12th, the first one we recorded on May 15th of last year. Uh, it started as a lark. Uh, sort of a fun little diversion and has become something actually we've gotten pretty regular at. This is our 23rd pod, not counting our little special Oregon Beer Festival pod, so 24th if you count that. Right, and, uh, and 26 it would, would be half, so we almost did one every two weeks. Yeah, we, we, that's, our, that's our goal, is to try to put one out every, every two weeks. We don't always uh, accomplish it, especially when you're traveling far and wide in your beery adventures. Uh, which, by yeah. the way, you're about to embark on another beery adventure. Copenhagen. Copenhagen. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't even know. Copenhagen. Yeah, I got an email recently and, and, and an invitation to go visit the Carlsberg Brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, these junkets, for, for folks who wonder why I go to big breweries uh, like Carlsberg and Guinness, is um, they have budgets to fly people in. Um, yeah, it's kind of a cool thing. So uh, Carlsberg is, is an old uh, lager brewery, but they're one of the first to really get into the sciencey stuff. And uh-huh. it was uh, uh, Emil uh, uh, Hansen, I think is his name. I'm, my, that sounds I'll, Danish. Yeah, I'll, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll know much more once I visit there. Anyway, he was the he was the guy to uh, do early uh, yeast isolation and came up with a pure strain. Ah. And they found an ancient bottle, like a 133 year old bottle of beer somewhere in the brewery, mm-hmm. and they isolated the yeast and have made a beer. And they've invited a bunch of brewer uh, writers to come taste that beer, and they're gonna have a thing. Ah, and nice. I'm gonna get to go taste that beer. Are you so, gonna be able to? To, to sneak away and go to Mikeller or something exciting like that? A little bit. Um, it's it's going to be... Equally exciting, by the way. Not, yes, not right. The big brewery is not exciting, but... Right. And I don't even know. I have no idea. What, I, I know so little about Carlsberg, I have to admit, that I it could be the coolest brewery in the world. I don't yeah. know anything about it. I don't know anything about There's not going to be a ton of time to travel around the city and see stuff, but I will definitely get somewhere for something. All right. Well, yeah. well, we'll talk about it when you get back. So uh, today's pod is uh, kind of an open celebration of beer. Jeff and I discussed what we want to do for our anniversary pod. We decided we would go and uh, pick out some beers that we love uh, and uh, use this as an opportunity just to talk about what we love and why we love it. Yeah, it's it's beer, right? So at the end of the day, sometimes you shouldn't overthink things. You should just enjoy them. And so uh, we're going to 
talk about the beers that we really enjoy. Yeah, so this is a low concept pod. <laughs> low concept pod. <laughs> many people, many po- uh, podcasters say it wouldn't be just great to sit around and talk about beer, and I think it's usually not great. But but yeah. we're, we're going to do that. In fact, time. when we started this pod, that was the one thing we said we shouldn't do: right. <laughs> just sit around and taste beer and talk about it. Uh, so <laughs> here we are. You're yeah, <laughs> all of a sudden, this seems like a really ill-conceived podcast. <laughs> What were we thinking? Uh, okay, but before that, we got to talk about the news. Yeah, let's... <laughs> Real content. Yeah. So uh, the first bit of news um, is that uh, the uh, German um, federal cartel office uh, has fined several retailers uh, 90 million euros, um, which is about $103 million, uh, for price fixing um, mainly in beer. Uh, and apparently it has to do with... Um, uh, the German subsidiary of Anheuser-Busch InBev um, for like Beck's uh, brand, Hasroda, whichever that is, and Franziskana, wheat beer brands. Uh, but apparently the breweries and the retailers um, colluded to keep prices high and now they're in trouble. Yeah. So, so more malfeasance in beer. And, and uh, interestingly, because this coincides with so much of the other news that we've heard over the last year or, or two, which is consolidation and one of the things everybody's worried about is the bigger breweries get the more power they have the more they have uh, an opportunity to influence markets and change and pervert markets like this so yeah and apparently so apparently what happened what they're claiming um or what they claim did happen is that uh Anheuser-Busch uh, or these beer companies um, got together with a set of retailers, some competing retailers, uh, and they all agreed to raise prices simultaneously across these different retail outlets. So there wasn't, wouldn't be price competition uh, in different retail outlets for the beer. So they were able to sustain a price increase across all these different retailers. So, yeah, uh, tisk tisk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is, I mean, I know that there are a lot of people in America who are really worried about uh, ABI's malign influence as they start getting more and more craft breweries and mm-hmm. how they'll be able to do things very much like this. So, so here's some, some fodder for the yeah. conspiracy theories, which apparently not maybe so much a theory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, the other news, uh, speaking of ABI, ABI is, um, apparently, uh, is it starting pretty much right away? Right. Yeah. Uh, now right. until the, until the end of election season, uh, Bud in the United States, Budweiser Beer, will, is is renaming and rebranding itself America. America, which just God bless. Yeah, this is. Uh, uh, I don't know anybody who thinks this is a good idea. So <laughs> this this will be interesting to see how this plays out. It's a Belgian-owned company, a Belgian-Brazilian kind of conglomerate. Yeah, and everyone now knows that uh, uh, Anheuser Busch is not an American-owned company. So branding the flagship America. Is has a quality, in my view, of cynicism and uh, yeah. I'm not even clear what they're trying to accomplish because, you know, maybe 30 years ago, imports was like the big threat to to macro lagers in the U.S. But so you branded America to make sure people understood it was American beer. But now it's not. It's it's even more American beer than you are. That's right. that's the big threat. Right. Oh, and speaking of which, and uh, I actually was reading your blog the other day, um, which I do once in a while. <laughs> and I noticed that you had the same take I had, which is, um, 
originally when when Bud came out with these sort of uh, this ad campaign that was kind of knocking craft beer and sort of mocking craft beer, I thought that's a really bad idea. You know, they're kicking your ass. You shouldn't try to mock the thing. Uh, but their latest ad campaign, I actually really appreciate. I think I think it's brilliant, which is just going doubling down on being a macro, being big, being what we are, what we are. Yeah. Uh, so I think uh, so. Um, uh, the American thing is is a questionable move. But, yeah. But actually, like, but actually, like their new ads. I was like, yeah, you should just you are what you are. That's right. They they make a lot of beer, and a lot of people like it, and they should own that because they're not going to be able to compete. Credibly in these other in these other realms of you know against IPAs and small breweries and but what they are is they're big and they're really popular and by God they should they should lead with that rather than hide behind you know try that's to, right they got economies of scale they're nationally they're a national brand you can find them everywhere so yeah but more power to them people want that that's a really honest uh, approach America seems not so honest and <laughs> I, I they're really asking their customers to trade on uh, cheap patriotism. Uh, for what reason? I don't know. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see what it, what happens. I'm probably going to buy a can or bottle of this to have for the archives. So, yeah. You know, I can tell. I can tell the next generation of beer geeks. Geeks, you know. Well, there junior, was a there was a time. There was a let, let's let. And it, you know this this thing happened, and maybe it, it, the, it'll be so popular they'll do it all the time, and and I'll look like a fool for keeping that around. But but maybe it'll it'll vanish as fast as. Uh, Budweiser American Ale. Anyone remember that? Uh, I do recall that vaguely, yes. <laughs> it seems like all of those macro beer attempts to try something different never have never gained any traction. I mean, the Blue Moon is the closest thing I can think of as a macro beer creation that's kind of really stuck. Yeah, light beer was the, the last big thing. It seems yeah. like it was a really good thing. Yeah. Although there have been some pretty amazing innovations in packaging. Yeah, absolutely. Like the, little, like the little twisty bottle top that was supposed to swirl your beer or something when you drink it. So you you raised the the point of Sally's rule. Do you know about Sally's rule? I don't uh, think I've ever mentioned it on the pod. Uh, you haven't mentioned it on the pod. I do know Sally's rule, but you should tell us what it is. Uh, years ago, Sally and I were sitting in Sally being your lovely wife. Sally being my lovely wife, um, and and oftentimes uh, a beer traveling companion. Mm -hmm. uh, we were sitting in front of a uh, some kind of televised sports event. It's basically the only thing we were. Only the time we were ever exposed to uh, advertising, mm -hmm. and yeah, it was like Miller's Vortex bottle or something. <laughs> something came on Vortex. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, the Vortex bottle, or uh, the uh, maybe it was Coors um, label that changed colors, or one of these things. Uh, yeah. And Sally said, "If you're selling packaging instead of beer." Uh, people should be really skeptical of that product. But yeah. the thing you're selling is packaging and not beer. And it was seemed so astute that I thought, ooh, this is a really good way to tell, um, you know, how how deep in the weeds uh, the company has gone. And I dubbed it Sally's Rule. Yeah. If you're selling packaging instead of beer. Yeah. The, and the America thing is kind of close. It's not quite selling packaging, but it's it's pretty. It's, it's, it's pretty much. <laughs> it, it, it's related. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely in the same category. Uh, yeah, and I remember the big, the big mouth opening with like the little air, right. the hole for air, so you could just guzzle the whole thing all at once. So that's another good, good selling point for your beer. If they've done a lot of these things, yeah. yeah. All right, well, let's get to speaking of beer. Let's let's get to our beer. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get, let's get to the heart of the pod. Uh, we just picked up a few bottles here. We could have. Uh, there's probably people often ask, "What are your favorite beers?" Uh, and 
when I was on the uh, the beer rival tour, in fact, this came up basically everywhere I went. People asked what your favorite beers. Yeah. Um, when I was doing media interviews, I, they, even reporters would ask me that. And you said the one in my hand, right? I I never really knew how to handle it. Um, but then I just started answering. I would just answer. I would just give a random answer because there's like a hundred beers at least yeah. that I could that I could easily make. Uh, case for being my favorite beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just started doing that. And then I would say at the end, there's like a hundred of these. And I just chose this one at random um, <laughs> for you, just so you know. But yeah. I'm but I'm happy to go on the record. If that appears in print, right. I, I stand behind that beer. So we have four uh, beers here that, that we could throw into that, that batch. And, yep. and there's 95 or 195 more that we can do. So let's get started. Yeah, let's start. So so the first beer that you and I actually both came up with independently when we were talking about the one we should really have yeah. is this one, which is Saison uh, Dupont. Which course. you gesture at on the podcast. <laughs> it's yeah. the, yeah, but it's my, my the inflection of my voice that makes you understand <laughs> the, the nod I'm making towards the bottle that you're working on. Uh, this one, of course, has a cork, so you're uncaging the cork yes. right now. I think I, I leapt on your thing. It's Saison Dupont, you said. It's Saison, it's Saison Dupont. It often appears on lists of the world's best beers, and for good reason. Um, it is, uh, I had, so I think one thing that, that people often, uh, talk about our our this is going to be nice so i got the uh the cork here and we're gonna it's gonna pop off here wow yeah. that's nice <laughs> i can really feel the pressure building behind it it's a very effervescent beer i remember uh in in um the mid middle 1990s i bought bought a bottle of this for the first time uh the effervescence um with with Audio beer porn. Audio beer porn. <laughs> uh, with the lovely and talented uh, Sally Allworth. And I'd never had one. And we poured it out. And it was a hot... It was actually about this time of year. And it was a day like today. It was a. It was an early hot day. Mm-hmm. And um, we hadn't eaten, much like we have not eaten. It's, we're doing this before lunch, probably ill-advisedly. I poured it out and... Uh, well, brilliantly, depending on what your goal is. Right? <laughs> Uh, we drank that thing and it was one of the most spectacular beers I'd ever had. I, we drank it right down mm-hmm. and got slightly lightheaded and it was, uh, it was a perfect beer on that hot day. We were in a, an apartment in Northwest Portland and, um, mm-hmm. I had one of those, one of those moments when my mind, just like the Grinch's heart grew three sizes. My, my appreciation of beer grew three sizes. Yeah. Uh, there were, there were. There was stuff going on in this beer that I could not ever imagine beer could be. Yeah, what was it? My my first experience with Saison Dupont was actually after I had been introduced to a whole host of uh, Belgian beers by a, an enthusiast um, when I was in grad school, and so I had I had uh, mm. this very strong impression of Belgian beers as being you know very sour and very alcoholy and um, sort of big and often and, and he was into um, uh, fruited lambics, and so he had a bunch of those. And so when I got Saison Dupont, I decided I'd better have it because everyone was talking about it, and that's what I expected to find. And it wasn't anything even remotely close. No. And you have a big smile on your face because you just tried it, and I just I had a good smile on my face because the aroma is so amazing. It really is. This is such a wonderful beer. Mm. Uh, this is definitely it's a it's a nostalgic favorite. It's also just a one of my one of my big favorites. It's 
uh, America has really gotten into Cezanne's and everybody always thinks back to Cezanne DuPont as uh, a source of inspiration is very different from American Cezanne's. Mm -hmm. it, it, um, it really is indelibly uh, DuPonty and it's like people, I think people could try to remake this, but somehow they just don't want to touch it. It's like DuPont's got its own thing. We can't go there. We gotta, we gotta do something we have else. Have to riff off it. So, uh, just give us the quick background. What, what, what do you mean when you say saison? What's a saison? Well, why don't we? We have one, we have one short clip here, uh, which comes to us fr from uh, Turps, Belgium, mm -hmm. when I visited the brewery. Um, I will say that this is also it, it's just one of my most beloved experiences uh, traveling around uh, for the beer Bible. Um, it's it's in the Wallonian part, the French-speaking southern part, mm -hmm. pretty close to France, yep. and it's just a little farmhouse. It's, there's not even really a town there. There's mm. um, there's there's a, a collection of farmhouses that come together in, I guess, enough density that it was called a, a town. Um, and one of those buildings is uh, is the Dupont Brewery, and uh, Olivier De Decker. Um, is when I visited, he was probably in his late thirties. Mm -hmm. So he's quite young still. Um, but he's been at the brewery working at the brewery since he was in his twenties. Uh, and what's his role there? He is the brewmaster. So it's a family owned thing. And there's, there's like 10 family owners and he's one of them, mm -hmm. but he's the, he's kind of the, 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 the heart and soul of the brewery now. Okay. And interestingly, he, he married a woman who is a microbiologist. Ah. So, and not because she was interested in beer yeast, but, mm -hmm. uh, Given that this is a, such a yeasty beer and so important, handy. yeah, <laughs> having a wife who's a microbiologist is not so bad. So we visited, uh, and he actually gave a perfect little description of his brewery. So maybe we should listen to that, uh, and and uh, then that will answer your question perfectly. Okay, let's do it now. Yes, buildings are from 1759. Oh wow! And the first brewery activity is from 1844. Okay. So at this time, the big farms, a lot of people to work on the fields in the summer. And uh, in the winter, they are busy to malt some barley. Mm -hmm. We still malted barley here until uh, 1986, okay. so not, not so far. Okay. Uh, and with this barley malt, they are brewing some beer. And that beer, the second fermentation in wood barrels, and was drunk on the summer by the people working in the fields. Mm -hmm. uh, so we speak uh, of uh, a kind of of beer with a low alcohol content, uh, high bitterness, mm -hmm. uh, no sugar, no residual sugar, so high ref refreshing beer. So it was what we call in Belgium beer de saison, season beer, brought in the winter and drank in the summer. And you got a little taste of your lovely wife there at the very end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was, that was one of the beer travels she was uh, with me on. It was uh, very nice. We had a great time in Belgium with Sally there. So this beer is one of the beers that I love, and I'm a big Saison guy. Mm -hmm. You're much more of an IPA guy, more of an America guy, but mm -hmm. you also really like this beer. I love this beer. So yeah. it's kind of surprising. This is, it's, it's quite a Belgian beer. You know, when, mm -hmm. when Americans make Belgian beers, we, we tend to uh, make them with not quite the same assertive yeast character. Mm -hmm. uh, that's it's quite estery. Yeah. So what, what do you like about this beer? Yeah, well, I think I like, uh, you know, I wouldn't, that's a good question. I, I, th I was going to describe myself as sort of a flavor guy. Um, I like sort of strong, distinct flavors in beer. And so that's why I like really hoppy beers and especially like the modern treatment of hops where the modern hops and the modern treatment of hops where you're getting an amazing aroma and flavor out of them. 
Um, and But you can do the same thing with yeast if you're careful and if you've done it well. And so I really enjoy beers like Saison DuPont that has lots and lots of yeast character, lots of fruity esters, but also a fair amount of hops as well. Yeah, it is. A, <laughs> I think this is one thing. Americans never make hop. Well, they don't. I shouldn't say they never make hoppy saisons, but they emphasize the yeast and, and de-emphasize the hops. Mm -hmm. And it's really it's really quite a hoppy beer. Yeah, and it just has an amazing mouthfeel. I mean, it's a, it's not too strong and it's not too light and it feels substantial on your tongue and yeah oh it's just like a yeah it's just it's got everything it, it really does it's um uh and what about you what, what what would you say yeah so uh i fell in love with saisons um when i tasted this beer and i and they're definitely my, i think my favorite style I, I once some a thing that i ask people to sort of get a sense of their palate is i say if you only had five beer styles that you could ever mm. uh you could only ever have those five beer styles for the rest of your life. Which would they be? And I asked the beer writer Stan Hieronymus this question, and he said, mm, "I think saison, 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 saison." And uh, I, I, uh, he was joking, of course, but um, I really, I was like, "Yeah, that's a good answer." <laughs> I could totally live off nothing but saisons too. Yeah, it is a beer that you could. It's you know, it's a saison, so it's supposed to be. It's it's a seasonal beer, but in fact, I find it a beer you can drink all year round. It sort of goes with almost any weather. And yeah, the 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 thing that I like about this beer in particular is the balance of uh, the yeast and the hops. And the the yeast here is different. The saison yeast is super weird, and it's very hard to work with. You have mm. to you have to brew very warm. When I visited the brewery, uh, I got to see the fermenters and the the readouts, and they, there was one that was, it was like ninety five degrees. Mm -hmm. It gets that it gets blood temperature. Wow. Um, and the others were rising. They, that was just the one that had gotten that warm. Mm -hmm. uh, and it produces this very, it, you get the esters, um, but it's also, you get a lot of phenolics. So it's very, it's got a spice to it. Yes. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the spice works really well with those hops. Mm -hmm. the, the hops. And what kind the, of hops are they? You, you know, I think he, he actually varies. They're, they're mm -hmm. bittering. He only uses bittering hops. Yeah. He, there, there is a version of this where he does dry hops. Ah. Uh, and I, I, I've had that. It's, it, I think, I, yeah, I think I remember you mentioning that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but he, he's used East Kent Goldings in the mm -hmm. past. Um, and then he's used uh, Styrene Goldings too, which is actually an entirely different kind of hop. But mm -hmm. I think he uses, um, he wants a, a pretty standard European bittering hot so that's got a bitter charge yeah. yeah exactly yeah yeah and we had a little debate about this and i think you're right in that uh it used to be imported in a green bottle uh and mm -hmm. pretty susceptible to skunking mm -hmm. um i don't i think that's correct what, the bottle we have now is a brown bottle yeah um, which helps a bit uh and our our bottle today um is free of skunk which is nice as well of course <laughs> right one other one other thing that um you really notice in this beer is the hard water Mm. Um, it's got a it's got a nice mineral uh, quality, so it's very dry. There's almost no residual residual sugars, mm -hmm. uh, and it um, which one of the reasons I find it makes so nice on a summer's day. Yeah, and the the dryness I think is enhanced by that mineral minerality that it gets from those hard hard uh, the hard water. Mm -hmm. So anyway, fantastic. And how strong beer. is it? It's around six. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Six point five is what the oh, bottle says. Half. There yeah. you go. So it's a pretty strong beer. I yeah. Mean, by historical standards. It doesn't, so this, doesn't taste like that. When when this beer was being, you know, when Michael Jackson discovered this beer when he was writing about beer in the 70s, it would pro he probably thought, wow, that's a really robust, 
rustic ale. Yeah. And now it's 6.5 is not... And they, they make a dry hop version of this. What else does DuPont make, if anything? They make a lot of stuff. They actually make this really cool beer called um, Radar Pills. Uh, and during the dark days in the 50s and 60s, when the brewery was really suffering, um, it was the, the the main beer that they made, and it was mm. sold or, it was sold locally. And it is spectacular. It is super cool. You would totally love it. It's um, uh, it's rustic. It's it's hazy. Mm-hmm. It tastes. It, if you if you could imagine um, a pills and a saison kind of melded together in one beer, it's like that. Um, I like it already. The best selling beer in Belgium is not du- is not Saison. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a beer called Moinette, mm. uh, which is a triple, right. but it's a rustic triple and has a lot of yeast character. Nice. But they make um, uh, organic beers. They have some organic beers. They have a wonderful beer, three point five percent, kind of grisette or petite Saison, uh, called Avril, which is has it, it, for people who believe that small beers don't have big flavors yeah. that's a really good one to yeah. go for it has all these all the flavors that we're getting out of this come from fermentation and hopping and stuff like that so you can get big flavors out of little beers if you want yeah i think you and i agree and probably most beer writers also share this that uh this is one of these absolute must-have beers if you are interested in beer you must try yeah i think i think so and i think that uh if people who don't think they like beers should try one of these to see where where they fit like this will tell you a lot about what kind of beer you do and don't like i think mm. um if uh, you know there if, if if you're going to be tempted by uh yeast characteristics this is a beer that will really give you a, a good look at that yeah and one of the things that uh also say about this is that the you know just like the modern ipas have incredible hop aromas on uh, this has an incredible aroma mm-hmm. that's largely coming from the yeast. Yeah, it's true, and uh, it's just amazing. Yeah, I mean, I mean the the sheer I don't know what you call it volume of aroma. What do you say the <laughs> the magnitude of the aroma? It's just it's incredibly aromatic. That's interesting. In in that way, you're right. It's very contemporary mm-hmm. because we've really uh, the modern beers that we like in in america at least are extremely aromatic yeah i'm really into aroma yeah that's why and 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 i always decant beer because i love to smell it yeah you yeah. should but uh, you have to decant this beer you have to decant this beer yeah, yeah. it's a you heard it pop i mean it would yeah. be but it's funny it. because you know when i was younger i'd always drink beer right out of a bottle including craft beer and not yeah. th- not think much about it uh, but now i i never uh almost never drink out of a bottle unless I'm forced to and because I love to decant and just stick my nose right in there. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So, so yummy. <laughs> I don't want to stop, but we got other stuff to taste. We got other stuff to taste <laughs> and we have other stuff to chat about. So yeah, yeah, we yeah, had a couple, a couple of questions that okay. came through the pike and uh, um, do you want to hear you? Yeah, I'll start working on this, but we should set this up by saying that you put out a call just saying, you know, uh, this is our one year anniversary what do you guys want to know? What do you, what questions do you have? What suggestions? Anything? Yeah, um, and we got some responses. So thank you, people. We um, did, John. I'm going to start with the second question first. Uh, John asks, uh, "I would love you guys to discuss." Uh, I'm turning away from the mic. I realize that's bad. <laughs> that's okay because we have better mics now. So. Well, all right. I'll try. I'll, I'll, but I'll bring the, the the thing in front of the mic. That's okay. better. I would love you guys to discuss your ambitions for the coming year: topics, travel. Aspirational visits and info, maybe guests. Mm-hmm. It's a good question. Thank you, John. Yeah, and just to give you a little background, this this pod was started with almost no thought. Um, I, in fact, 
Uh, it was your idea. I suggested it to you because um, I commute down to Corvallis, which is about an hour and a half drive each way, a few times a week. So I've gotten really into podcasts. Um, and it occurred to me that uh, with your wealth of beer uh, knowledge and uh, sort of trove of topics that you've written about on the blog, that, that we could actually um, come up with something that's different and, and, and interesting in terms of uh, a beer blog, something different than just people sitting around tasting and chatting yeah. about beer. <laughs> which, which this inevitably, inevitably devolved into. Hey. Uh, and so we really didn't have any grand design. We decided, well, let's just give it a shot. And we both agreed, this is one of the, the founding principles of this blog, is that it couldn't take too much of our time. Because I've got a full-time job and two kids, and you've got lots of other obligations as well. Um, so we've actually just kind of made it up as we've gone along. Yeah. Um, but we have talked about a number of things that we wanted to do and slightly more ambitious things we wanted to do. So um, it's a good question. Yeah. And uh, uh, so for year two, we're really going to try to do some of those ambitious things. Yes. Uh, uh, the technology has improved. Over the past year, we've added two nice microphones. As hopefully you can tell the difference. Yeah. Um, I've gotten a little bit better at figuring out GarageBand and producing our blog. Uh, but I think actually we now have sort of a, a good enough technology that we can do, for example, live interviews right. uh, with um, the two of us plus uh, someone. And so that's one thing that I would like to do more of. Um, yeah. Interesting beer people that could be uh, owners, brewers, uh, people who work in the beer industry in other ways. Yeah, one topic I, I really want to do is I wanted to get into distribution, mm -hmm. which is such an important part of the business and, and little discussed, little investigated. So having somebody sit down with us who is a former or current uh, uh, person who's worked in distribution would be really helpful to tell us what goes on. Because I think uh, this is something we could talk about a little bit, but having a, a real informant would be make that a more profound. Yeah, discussion. I mean the history of prohibition in this country, and then the the crazy Byzantine structures that resulted when alcohol was legalized again, uh, create very interesting, both just in terms of beer enthusiast, interesting, but also as an economist, it's fascinating market structures that um, that are pretty opaque and. Lots of other things seem to happen, just like we were talking about in the news today. <laughs> right. Price fixing, pay to play has been uh, in the news. So, yep. you know. uh, We've talked about uh, doing uh, an entire pod about women in beer. Yes. Um, that's one we definitely want to do. And in fact, when you were at the Guinness Brewery, you uh, interviewed, I don't know if you remember her name. Uh, Theodora, and I can't remember her last name. Okay. Uh, she's a young uh, brewer at Guinness. Yeah, and so we'd like to do a whole pod about uh, women in beer because it's a um, it's a heavily male dominated uh, industry and profession. Um, but uh, there are some notable exceptions, and hopefully that uh, we, uh, is changing as we uh, move into the future. And we'd like to highlight. Yeah, we'd like to see more women in beer. Um, we'd like to have them uh, on see more of them on the other side of the mash tun um, in different parts of uh, the business, I think. Yeah, and just to give you, just to give sort of a, my take on it, which is that one of the things I love about the craft beer movement is it's, um, uh, well, here, so there's actually sort of three parts of this. The first is, you should uh, crack that beer. <laughs> I'm sitting here holding it. Okay, right, as we're doing this, we'll talk about it. So one of the first things and what we were going to mention is that one of the things I love about beer is it's so, uh, there's so much variety. There's so many different styles, and they're incredibly different. So a Saison DuPont is incredibly different from an American IPA, incredibly different from a German uh, Pilsner, you know. Um, so I really 
enjoy the variety in beer, but I also like the fact that craft beer is sort of an expression of a brewmaster's art or craft. Um, and it's about sort of um, who they are and where they are and what kinds of ingredients are around. And I really think that men and women are different potentially in the expressions that uh, women would have in terms of brewing and the art and uh, what they do. Um, uh, could be a lot different, a lot interesting, a lot more, uh, and very interesting in their own right. And so I would love to see more uh, female brewers out there. And yeah, and I'm interested in um, one of the elements of uh, appreciation, which is we all know that our hardware differs. So, you know, you just mentioned that you're not very sensitive to being beers being light struck. I can't really taste DMS, which is a, an off flavor. Um, and we know that women have better palates than men. So getting women involved in beer will expand the human capacity for flavor because mm -hmm. there's probably a lot of stuff that uh, women are tasting and appreciating that men have, have ignored. So yeah. I, I think, you know, it's a, it's a way for everybody to expand our horizons. Yeah. Women, we need more women in beer. All right. So a little interlude, a little, little beer audio porn interlude here. Uh, tell us what I'm about to open. This is uh, Frank Bone. It's spelled B-O-O-N, but he pronounces it bone, not boon. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have a, a Gerza here called Mariage Parfait. Mariage Parfait, and here we go. Oh, do I, am I going to need a bottle? Right, I mean, a, cup, a glass right next to me? Is this going to be... Super Very good. Yeah. Yeah, <sighs> so we're pouring... I, I don't have a classic uh, Lambic glass here, but they, they have these kind of cool tumblers, and I do have a tumbler... I did have a tumbler here, so we do. It's not like super effervescent, actually. Mmm. There you go. Very nice. This. So this. We discovered as we were buying these beers that you're not really very familiar with lambic. It turns at all. out I don't know. I didn't. Yeah. It turns out that <laughs> I didn't know what a lambic was. And yeah. so, so tell me again. <laughs> tell us. Yeah. Uh, well, what's a lambic? Well, uh, to go back to those favorite. Those those beer styles you can't live without. The mm -hmm. first, these are the these are the first two, uh, Gers and 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 saison are the, mm -hmm. like those are number one and number two on my list. So and then after that, there's like seven or eight other styles. So I never answered the question myself. I think in the past pod we've done a Gers, I think, but uh, but I didn't put Gers and Lambic together. So clearly, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah, so Lambic is just um, a beer. I think many people understand. Uh, the basic contours of lambic. It is a spontaneously fermented so that you, you make the wort and then you just leave it in a big pan called mm -hmm. a cool ship. Okay. And then the natural uh, micro organisms, microflora and fauna. And I don't, I guess not everything fits into flora, flora and fauna. So <laughs> yeah, those things that don't fit in. There's interesting discussions on your blog. If you go back and troll yeah. the archives, you can see that. <laughs> what My, is a yeast? Yeah, maybe they're funguses or something else. Anyway, uh, then they inoculate the beer and they put it in barrels and let it, uh, big casks and let it sit there until um, all those, uh, all the biochemistry takes place. And it produces these extraordinarily uh, flavorful beers that mm -hmm. have because they have so many different, uh, they have uh, bacteria and, and wild yeasts working. They have, and all, also other stuff like spo spoilage bacteria get in the mix too and put put a tiny little uh, soupçon of, is that how you say that? Soupçon? Of uh, soupçon, whatever, however you say that, of uh, little, little uh, flavor notes in there like enterobacter, you know, and a few other things can, can contribute. Mm -hmm. A goose, sometimes people say goose. Um, uh, Jean Van Roy at Cantillon says goose. Um, I'll go with him then. 
Frank Bone said, Goes. Okay, we'll go with him there. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you can pick your, your poison there. It is a blend of one, two, and three year old lambic. Okay. And the reason it's so effervescent is that one year beer, one year old beer still has quite a bit of life in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when it goes re fermentation in the bottle, mm-hmm. you, get a, you, get, you get the effervescence. Um, and the thing of, that you get about the, the reason the Goes is, in my ex- experience, uh, or, or my, in, in my opinion, the, the the sort of supreme art of this is because you're dealing with different vintages. They're blended, so they take, come from all different kinds of casks. Even the three-year-old is not just one three-year bat, uh, uh, barrel, but it comes from many right. different three-year-old barrels. Okay, but hang on a minute. So uh, distinguish uh, lambic is the general term, and then mm-hmm. Goose is a is a particular type of lambic. It's this blend of one, two, and three-year-old beer. <laughs> oh, so Goose are just. Sorry, I keep I keep putting emphasis on the e, which apparently is wrong. Goose is the is the blend. It's the blend. Yeah, oh, it's the okay. blend of the three. Oh, see, I'm learning something. On yeah, the education of Patrick right right here as we go. By the way, we didn't describe the you know the the saison dupont kind of a straw color, a little bit hazy, very effervescent. This is more of a uh, straw to amber uh-huh. uh, color, slightly clear, more clear, a little, little less effervescent. Ooh. I think it is actually quite effervescent, but um, this one, this bottle, isn't. They can they they because you're dealing with wild yeasts. These things will vary somewhat. Ooh, wow! So describe yeah, describe what we're tasting here. Uh, Sour. Yeah. So these things have so many different flavor elements. There's um, that's subtle. It, yeah. The, this is the cool thing. Mm. When I went to uh, Belgium and I started tasting these beers after having had many wild ales in America, the the first thing that or the, the 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 overwhelming kind of impression I took away is tart beers, wild beers, these beers that have wild organisms that that create them should not be punishing. They should always be harmonious and mm-hmm. pleasant. Yeah, yeah. And that's I think something that Americans have to come around to. So mm-hmm. you do have these really exotic flavors in here. You get uh, you get the tart. You get mm-hmm. the aroma. You get uh, you get a little bit of that barnyard funk. Mm-hmm. You get. Um, I would even describe it as sort of a background fruitiness almost. Is that from the yeast probably? Huh? Sure, yeah. The Brettanomyces, which is the principal wild yeast, will create quite a rich uh, tropical fruit ester. Oh, okay. yeah. So, I'm glad to know I wasn't <laughs> imagining that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the cool thing is, this is one of the reasons you do the different vintages. Because mm-hmm. the one-year-old, it produces the esters early on. And they will eventually be, I don't know if it's biochemistry or if they just kind of fade out, but in the old ones, you don't really find the esters anymore. Mm. So that's one reason why you want to blend these these different vintages, because you get the esters from the young stuff, right. and uh, and they really present themselves. Right. But, yeah. Yeah, just, as, we, as we were discussing before we went on the pod, you know, I always associated Lambic. I always thought Lambic meant fruit beer, mm-hmm. because it's so often blended with fruit. It's sort of ironic now that there's this fruity character from just from the yeast, but you do see lots of Lambics blended with fruit. I guess the sour and the fruit is what um, people are going for, but uh, I didn't realize that Lambic was just the, the spontaneously fermented. Yeah, it's the base beer, mm-hmm. and then you can do a ton of different stuff with the base beer. And mm-hmm. and mostly straight lambic is has wow, never never really been a big commercial product. I think back mm-hmm. in the day you could get straight lambic at the at a at a brewery or at a blendery. So another thing that is interesting about this is a lot of times there are some of the more famous lambic producers don't actually brew; they just buy the wort. Uh-huh. And and one of the main suppliers of wort is Frank Bone. 
Ah. So he 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 brews the beer, he puts it in the cool ship, right. and then um, right after it comes out of the cool ship, he'll give it to one of these other breweries. And, oh, so it's more than just word; it's inoculated word. It's inoculated word. Okay, but then they'll he'll the inoculated word will go to the uh, uh, you know uh, like Tilquin is a, a new guy who just started up, mm-hmm. and he's got all his own barrels. So he takes that inoculated word and he'll put it in the barrels, uh-huh. and then he gets his own microflora because he's got different barrels, and then he does his own blending. So blending is the whole art. This beer that we're tasting here, all the different flavor components, they're composed like a painting. You know, mm-hmm. you 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 take that's a palette of flavors and. Frank Bowen will will get the, you know, he's dealing with three-year-old, two-year-old, and one-year-old barrels. So he's got to blend the three-year-olds, the two-year-olds, and the one-year-olds. And he's, yeah. all these different things have to come into harmony. By so, the way, speaking of uh, ambitions for future pods, that's a definite one I want to do about blending. Okay, uh, well, we should we should definitely, I have some nice, I have some wonderful audio from both Jean Van Roy and, and Frank Bowen talking about blending. Yeah, but I would love to even try to do something. Uh, well, no, it would be live because it's a podcast. But I just mean uh, go, uh, yeah. go and hang out with Nick Arsner or somebody who's in that process of blending and talk and just sort of pick his mind about how he goes through that process of taking all this beer from all these different barrels and blending it into something miraculous, <laughs> if yeah. you ask me. Yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. Blending is the true art and the, the greatest it's the greatest talent and it requires the, we were just talking about women and, and, and what an important part of the palate, uh, important part of all of this, the palate is mm-hmm. and blending requires this amazing palate. And I agree with you. If we do it, we should go down to and talk to Nick. He, I think has the, the most, um, amazing sense of, of blending. And yeah. He's, a, a, he's the brewmaster and the, and the owner of block 15 brewing in Corvallis, Oregon. And he's created this amazing barrel aging program. He's got this, massive cave of of uh of basement basement caves that he's got underneath his brew pub and and corvallis where he's got just barrel after barrel after barrel and he does spontaneous fermentation too and, so. and that's right and he put in a cool ship yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh when we when when we visited he had he was just installing it so i'd love to love to go back and talk to him yeah uh it, it might as well Yep. continue that theme because there are things we talked about and one thing we've sort of batted back and forth we're not exactly sure how how we would do it and how it would come off and so you can give us your thoughts but we were thinking about doing a, a pot on home brewing right we, is it too nichey do you, would you guys listen to that like we don't know yeah For, uh, i'll give you my take or our take i think because we both agree on this which is to really understand and appreciate beer the single best thing you can possibly do is to try to brew it yourself. Right. Because then you really understand the connection between the ingredients and the methods and the flavors that you get out. Um, we've been doing it for quite a while. We're not particularly good at it, but um, it's always fun and an education. And um, it's sort of one of my main hobbies, actually. Um, yeah. So uh, so that's that's one idea is to do a homebrewing pod. Um, another idea that I had that you were very skeptical about <laughs> because it's true it's very hard to do but uh, I've noticed that we get a lot of lessons from South Africa and so I imagine that there must be an interesting uh, uh, craft beer scene going on in South Africa and I really love to learn more about South African craft beer so maybe uh, if you're listening from South Africa you can tell us a little bit you can send us some information about what's going on in South Africa and, um, uh, and inform us yeah. I don't know if we can build a pot out of it, but it'd be something I'd be interested in talking about. So well, there you go. Yeah. We and we do that. That is, as you can tell, we just follow our bliss on this pod. We yeah. don't really uh, <laughs> whatever interests us. That's what we do. So this mariage parfait, by the way, is pretty extraordinary. This mariage parfait too. I really encourage people. This beer is. It's one of the only lambics that's regularly available. If you live in a in a any kind of 
a city that has a decent bottle shop, you're mm-hmm. likely to find uh, this beer. It, it, it's released at certain times. It's out now because we just bought it. Okay. We bought this at a grocery store in Portland. Yep. So, I mean, it's it's not it's not super limited uh, stock. And we so this is a, a regular, like, uh, a regular beer bottle size, 12 ounces. It's not 12 ounces because it's Belgian. But um, 370, uh, 375 mil. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was $7. Mm-hmm. So this has mm-hmm. beer, three-year-old, two-year-old, and one-year-old beer, spontaneously fermented, uh, shipped from Belgium, and it's seven dollars. Yeah, it's just an, an <laughs> it's modern, a, the modern economy. It's just remarkable. Thank so, you. Thanks to container shipping. Yeah, uh, yeah. One of the so might as well get a little e- economic-y here since <laughs> that's my shtick and that's the only thing I can offer. Uh, uh, the the um, uh, the growth in world shipping and the and the dramatic uh, decrease in cost of world shipping is really something that's come about probably since the 1970s or a little bit later. And container shipping is a huge was a huge uh, sea change in uh, in shipping and has created this sort of modern economy where stuff gets shipped all over the world and for pretty cheap uh, pretty cheaply. And getting so, cheaper, right? Because we have these super max things. Yeah, super max things. Yeah, yeah. It's always, but that that was like a huge innovation. This sort of intermodal shipping container. Um, it was the Sea uh, Land was the first the first company. I think it was in the 1970s, but I'm, I'm sure someone knows more than me. Yeah. Can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I also mentioned that it's pretty cool these days that you can go into a grocery store and just see this amazing array of uh, you know portland's a little unique but not terribly i mean i think most sort of special specialty grocery stores in most parts of the u.s now probably have a good craft beer craft yeah. beer section yeah and, and actually oregon is far from everything i just i didn't i didn't fully appreciate this until i started to travel to europe more frequently and realized that uh you know uh if you're traveling from uh london to prague it's a two-hour fl- plane flight you know and mm-hmm. coming and and if you're traveling to prague from new york it's actually not terrible mm-hmm. but getting there from oregon is horrible so <laughs> getting a mariage parfait to oregon is horrible <laughs> so it's actually kind of i think if you live in new york it's you're going to find these kind of beers much more regularly available than you do out here on the west coast because we're just we're just really far from everything yeah yeah all right uh Okay, so other other ambitions for the pod, by the way, um, we've mentioned this before, um, but we're always open to sponsorship. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, and by open, we mean uh, actively solicit. So please. Uh, uh, I actually, and we ended up making the investment in microphones uh, uh, despite lack of sponsorship, that was sort of my big my big selling point. It's like if if we get a sponsor, we'll we'll spend some money. I know on you undermined our main principle. We, <laughs> we, we did it. Spend it. Yeah, <laughs> we did it anyway. Uh, but um, yeah, we're not above selling ourselves to the to the any bidder at all. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. Uh, we've, we you know America. Yeah, that's um, right. If you can't monetize it, what's the point? Well, and I was thinking about America beer. Oh, know? I see. Yes, yeah. yes, that's that too. Because they have all the money, right? So yes, yeah. Actually, I think America was a brilliant marketing. <laughs> yeah, stroke. it was. That's it yeah, really I was, is. I mean, I, it captures the essence of what Budweiser is and what our country is, and that's it's like. Yeah. And it was it was a subtle treatment, very uh, understated, yeah. elegant. Yeah, I really, really, really enjoy Anheuser yeah. Busch products. They're they're just. Mm. I, yeah. yeah and see, that was for free. So imagine <laughs> what we do with someone who's actually paying us. 
okay. But seriously, Actually, our we, new our, so so seriously, it would be great. Um, if we anybody, do. If we, anybody would like to sponsor us, we'd we, be happy to have them. The, the pod ho uh, hosting costs are actually uh, their costs there. So there are a few a few expenditures here. That's right. So I think we're, we're I actually think we spent 30 bucks on the beer we've got in front of us today. So that's, Yeah, that's right. The beer. The beer costs some yeah. money. Uh, one thing that the, the, the purchase of these microphones has, has hopefully um, uh, enabled now is more on-site podcasting. So we did one. Uh, if you go back, um, we did one on Fresh Hop Beers, and we went to the Breakside Brewery itself, which was a production breweries was a pretty loud place in our old uh, really terrible microphone headset things um and so it's pretty hard to hear and we're hoping now with um with these new mics that we can actually do more on-site uh podcasting go go to brew pubs go to breweries um and maybe even record record our podcasts on site yeah that'd be cool so that's that's something i would i would love to do as well uh, let's move on with the beer. Yeah. So, so here's this is. Uh, let me introduce this one because um, I'm a huge. Actually, we both are. I think a huge fan of English style ales. Uh, unfortunately, they they don't travel terribly well. Um, often, they're lower alcohol content, uh, um, and um, the ones you can find in the U.S. Um, tend to have been well, let's say, suffered from the transatlantic journey. Uh, but I love the style, and it's it's hard to find. It's not something that American brewers tend to do very much, is really fateful styles of English English ales. And so, uh, yeah. for this... The American tradition has diverged radically from the English tradition now. So Yeah, it's, it's really emphasizing hops, not so much malts, uh, tend to be higher alcohol, not so much lower alcohol beers. Um, yeah, look at that. It's a good-looking beer. That's just a, such a beautiful beer. So... <laughs> Uh, oh. <laughs> speaking of technology, <laughs> we're having a weird a feedback effect right now. Uh, hang on, I'm going to fix this. That? All right, here we go. Are we oh, my goodness. That was crazy. Speaking I, of technology. Yeah, did there that was actually... This, there was no... Well, I have no idea if we recorded I doubt it. Uh, so, but, so, but in our headphones, we had this amazing demon roar. Yeah, so and I then, hope you guys heard that. that and then there cool. was this crazy delay, like a one or two second delay on what we were saying. So um, we obviously haven't fixed all of the technical glitches <laughs> in our podcast, but I'm sure with sponsors, That's we right. would be able to, to turn this really into a... Uh, into a to a first class we could actually production. get like a, a proper mixing board and yeah imagine imagine the things we could do so just plugging this so going back yeah. so i yeah. love english ales it's very hard to find fateful english ales very few craft brewers do it or if they do they'll do something some kind of abomination they'll call a scottish ale and it'll be just this treacly awful horrendous thing uh jeff clued me into this thing he had on on tap somewhere um it's from a local brewery so you probably can't find it but um this is a call out to all the craft brewers around to try this stuff it's from a brewery in portland called ex novo and the beer itself is called stiff upper, upper lip and it's an esb an extra special bitter and it is uh a super faithful reproduction of an english ale and extraordinary yeah um, it really is <laughs> we, we were both uh I had it at a pizza place, and I couldn't believe how good it was. And and so we, it's it's here at our local Whole Foods, uh, my local Whole Foods, and I couldn't believe that I that they bottle it first of all because mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it's one of their big regular beers. Mm -hmm. um, so 
I told Patrick to buy a bottle, and he did, and I wasn't sure if it would be good on the bottle, but it is, and we have one here in front of us. So it pours out. He poured it in a nice, big, English-style pint glass, and it's... it's From our friends at Brewers Union 180. That's right. Down uh, in Parkdale? Oak, Oak Oakdale. Ridge. Oak Ridge. <laughs> Down in Parkdale. Oak Ridge, Oregon. Uh, <laughs> west, west of uh, Eugene. East of Eugene. East. <laughs> <laughs> You go, now you go, you, you want to get there, you go west, west Eugene to Parkdale. Oh, God. Uh, uh, it's a big, Sorry, Ted. It's a big mountain. It's a big mountain biking uh, destination. Um, it's in the Cascade Foothills, east of Eugene. Um, go to Brewers Union. Um, he does lots of uh, cascade, beautiful Cascades. Uh, but this one is brown, uh, sort of a golden brown. It's absolutely perfect. It smells just extraordinary. It's got a really distinct and strong uh, malt character. This is another thing that Americans never really understood, that yeah. pale is a relative term and that pale ales can be quite dark. Uh, mm -hmm. no, no American would ever make a pale ale this dark, but it's gorgeous. Oh, that's such a good beer. So it's it's a malt-forward beer. It's it's It features the malt. The malt is sort of nutty. Uh, mm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's got a you know it has a hops for balance, but it's not the the hop flavors are not pronounced. There's a thing about English malts, and this is not actually a flavor note as much as it is just a. It's where my brain goes. It's probably synesthesia, really. But um, there's a it it reminds me of like I taste the malt, and it is nutty um, and kind of bready, but mm -hmm. like polished wood. I taste it, and I. And this thing, this image of polished yeah. wood comes into my brain. The polished wood of an old English pub. I guess that must be it. Mm. But it's, there's something about those malts that are so smooth and soft and, and burnished that they really remind me of, uh, of polished wood. It, it, it has the, yeah. just, it tastes like a pub. Really. And Oregon has wonderful, wonderfully, or Portland has wonderfully neutral water that comes from a great watershed in the Cascade Mountains, but it, um, it's basically um, rainwater. It's basically rainwater. I'm almost certain that they've amended this water, added some mm. salts because it has that really nice hard water characteristic of English, of English ales. Uh, it's just such a perfect, yeah. uh, modern English ale that so few American craft brewers do or do well. I would, I would really love ex novo to not Stop making this. Yeah, I, I, hope, I hope. Prob probably nobody's buying it but us. But um, yeah. well, if you're a Portland listener, go out, find some. It's hard to find, but find right. it, buy it, and then buy a lot of it. <laughs> go to go to Ex Novo and tell them to keep making it. Yeah, I tweeted out a, a shout out to this beer when when we had it the other day, and because I just uh, just I, I haven't had anything like this since I've been in thing. Yeah. Honestly, honestly, it, it's, the, it's 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 the best English beer you can find in Portland. Yeah, brewed in Portland. <laughs> yeah, so kudos to them because this is a style. So let me just talk about the style for a minute, which is yeah. Uh, I didn't really appreciate English ales because my introduction to them was was American versions, often like a Scottish ale, which in in the U.S. tends to mean tons of malt, uh, flabby, flabby, really, heavy. really heavy. Yeah. It's just super heavy. And if you go to Scotland, you realize what they do is they add simple sugar so that uh, it ferments out nice and clean and much lighter. Um, and But when you get to England, you realize that these malt-forward beers, this subtle malt characteristic that comes through, especially in these smaller beers, you know, three and a half, four and a half percent. Yeah, and this, this one is big. Yeah, this one's bigger. It's an extra special bitter. It's yeah, America. It, I mean, it's six, right? Exactly. So, <laughs> uh, so that's okay. Uh, but... 
but there's this really lovely, subtle sort of range of flavors that I never associated with a malt before. I always thought of malt just as sort of the, the workhorse that there to prop up the hops. Yeah. Um, but not at all. It's, it's the other way around. It's, it's the hops there that are there to balance out this lovely sort of bouquet of, and I'm going to use the term bouquet of malt flavors because That's right. there really are lots of them there. And, and I just fell in love with those beers um, while we were there. Uh, so this is the first time I've been able to sit at home and have something because, honestly, if you try to buy buy a, a good a Fuller's ESB is strong enough that it tends to travel okay, but anything lighter than that just doesn't. Yeah, and we just don't see any any decent examples. And the and the the real shame is people in America, you know, they'll buy like you used to be able to buy a Green King's IPA and some of their lighter products, which yeah. are sent in clear bottles, not even green, but clear bottles. And by the way, for the record, when we were there, we told them, the one thing you have to stop doing is bottling in clear bottles. And they said, yeah, yeah. it's not really, it's not yeah. <laughs> the marketing department says you got to keep them in the clear. So, the, so they're just, they're just terrible. They're, mm-hmm. uh, they're light struck, they're flabby because it's a three and a like uh, the Green King IPA is three and a half percent. Mm-hmm. It's been shipped all as we've just discussed how far it's got to come. It just it doesn't taste. It tastes terrible. It, it's objectively terrible, and so people think, yeah. oh, this is this English style beer is it, not 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 in my palate. It kind of tastes terrible, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and of course they're correct. Yeah. So yeah, there's sometimes. I mean, you can find problem is it's such a crapshoot, but you can go and find uh, uh, Bell Haven Scottish Ale. You'll find it in a clear bottle, um, but if you find a good bottle of it, you'll get a good sense of what a Scottish ale should taste like. Yeah, that's true. And the Scottish, they're a little bit less hoppy, mm-hmm. so they're less likely to be light yeah, struck. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, the, and the malts do actually survive fairly well. So. Yeah, but you'll understand what it means to have a malt-forward beer without being heavy and, and, and treacly. And, um, and by the way, this is two things that... You know, since we're celebrating beer here, the two things I absolutely love about beer is you couldn't find two more different beers than Saison Dupont and this English ESB. I mean, right. they're just they're almost diametrically opposed, and yet they're both wonderful and brilliant. And that's one of the things I like about beer. And then the other thing I really love about beer, um, and we've mentioned this before, especially the craft beer, the artisanal movement, is how much beer is is a, a product of a of a place uh, and a sometimes a time but it but definitely a place and a culture and so um though i celebrate the fact that i can now get a really nice version of english beer i mean there's nothing like going to england and going yeah. to a pub and having fresh beer there and that's one of the things that's great about beer is it's you know it's 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 part of the the, the locality and part of the culture there and so that's something that's pretty special i think and it's a way to really sort of connect to different places so uh, that is to say that you know there's lots of beer adventures yeah out there absolutely go go experience <laughs> them that's true i i have had a, a the having the opportunity to write the beer bible sent me out into the world in a way that um i wouldn't have had the opportunity to do unless i got that book uh the contract and yeah drinking in other parts of the world is really fun and even if you don't think you like a uh, german hellas beer if you can spend a few days in bavaria drinking three or four hellas beers uh, a day, you'll mm-hmm. probably have a different relationship to them. Yeah. Certainly than you will if you go buy a Hellas from, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Eying or somebody he- here in, in America. Mm-hmm. Where it, it might might be a tasty beer, but the, the experience is such a big part of this. We're about, the last beer we're going to go out on um, is, is, a, is 
relates to our own experience here in the United States and our own cultural context. Um, and we, you, you know, you know, you never own, you never notice your own culture, mm -hmm. but when you go, when you drink beer in another culture, you really experience that. And I'm not sure where in my top five or 10 styles, uh, English Cascale fits, but the experience of drinking English Cascale in, a, in an English pub mm -hmm. is, I think that's my favorite place to drink beer. Um, all the, all the places I've been, you know, the Czech Republic, Bavaria, uh, Dublin now, mm -hmm. these are great, amazing places to drink beer, but there's something about sitting in an English pub. And I really expected to like Scotland more than England because, mm -hmm. you know, the, the queen and all that business. <laughs> I'm a good American. Hey. Uh, we're not so into that. Hey, hey, watch yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, Patrick, for those who don't know, uh, his, his mother is uh, English, and he is himself a subject of the crown. So. That's right. I've, I've sworn allegiance to the queen, so you be careful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm an American, and we don't cotton to those, uh, those royals. But there's something about England that is just uh, really beguiling, and English pubs are amazing. So, yeah. yeah. Then, and I... And, it's hard to know how much my love of this beer, which was made in America, mm -hmm. maybe by people who've never even been to England, who knows? Yeah. But um, my appreciation of this beer is probably heavily covered, colored by the ten days we spent on the island of Great Britain. Drinking yeah, but beers. Appropri appropriately so. I mean, I think that's mm -hmm. that's that's a exactly. big part. Why, of Why you don't want to separate it? That's that's part of the thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that's what's that's what I love about the re the reclaiming of the beer. The beer map by craft brewers from, from macro brewers is exactly that. Is that yeah. you're creating something that's artisanal and, and, and local and cultural uh, that didn't exist or sort of went away for a long time. I mean, in England, it, 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 it lasted. It, um, it certainly got uh, pushed to the periphery by, by macro, macro loggers, but, but it's there and I think it's making a resurgence. So anyway... Uh, I don't know what to say to, to those uh, in other parts of the U.S., but look, f but look for local, local versions of English beer and go to England and try it yourself. Yeah, English, English beers. We don't. We uh, we're we're going to go to our last beer here, uh, and we don't. We didn't. We didn't touch on uh, German beer, which uh, um, we we did a whole podcast. You can look in the archives if you're interested in, yeah. in those. And we we love German beers, and I I particularly love German beers. It's and we did we did check pilsners last time so right um, yeah it's it's <clears throat> we don't get great German beers here uh, mm -hmm. at least in the bottle um, there are a few places that have, have pretty good tap lists of German beers but um, we did we we didn't do that but for all the fans of Germany uh, we uh, we love German beers too but we don't have one here yeah no we we. We picked four. It doesn't mean these are the four best. These are just no. These are yeah. Let's say anyway, so uh, so inevitably, <laughs> all things lead to uh, the big giant um, hot bomb that is uh, India Pale Ale, which is sort of the um, the U.S. craft brewers' calling card. Put it that way. Um, but things have changed dramatically in terms of American IPAs um, right. over the last ten years. I would say. So 10 years ago, you'd get like a hot, you know, everybody talking about this IPA uh, and it would be sort of a super bitter face melting uh, uh, bitter bomb. Um, and then over time, people started being more subtle with their hops. And we've talked about this recently on the pod um, and figuring out that putting putting hops in 
mostly in late editions or almost exclusively in late editions and, and in the cold side of brewing. So having uh, dry hopping and uh, really allows you to, to capture the amazing fruit and floral characteristics of modern American hops. Uh, and I think the very best expression of this um, is by Ben Edmonds and his uh, India Pale Ale from Breakside uh, Brewery, which um, has won lots of awards, so I'm not alone right. in my, my category. But having said that, there are many, 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 many wonderful modern IPAs. But this is one that really uh, just gets it all right, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of the hop scheduling and the aroma characteristics and the flavor characteristics. So here we go. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and one of the things you have to say about this style is, is, is its expressiveness means that breweries can do uh, they can always make a, an IPA that is unlike any other IPA. It's possible to make these things however you want them. So you, it's impossible to find. There's no, no such thing as a universal American IPA, which is great. Yeah. So some people, in fact, even um, at Breakside, they have two IPAs. They have this one. They have another one called uh, Wanderlust, which mm -hmm. is a slightly different beer. And um, people, I think I, I, it's possible that I like the Wanderlust better. So yeah. even just even within the brewery, people have different preferences. Yeah. So, so this one really accentuates the fruity characteristics of the of the hops. It's got an amazing aroma that's immediately present. You absolutely have to decant this beer. It's a criminal not to. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this that's really true. We talk. You just mentioned the thing about. Uh, aromatics and mm -hmm. um, these beers are all about aroma. Yeah, yeah, and that's what. Woo! Yeah, that's a good bottle. That's a good bottle. It's nice, fresh. Yeah, that one's super fresh. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's one thing I love about. I mean, not, that's if you talked about. I love aroma, and I just love you know going to a pub with a nice <laughs> with a nice IPA on tap, and they stick they, they stick the glass in front of you before you even raise the glass. You can smell it. That's what that's that's the first calling card of a great IPA. Yeah, I feel like if you can't do that, it's it's a big marks down. You yeah, know? if I can't smell it while it's sitting on the table in front of me, then. Uh... But it's interesting how it's only been in the last you know ten years or so that that the use of hops has changed so radically, where it's almost all late editions in, in cold side. Yeah, this is so. I have an article in All About Beer, which I, I my guess is you have not read, mm. um, where I talked about this. I, I, oh, Jeff, I read everything religiously. I, I, right. I basically assume <laughs> nobody reads anything I write, and and that's that assumption has served me really well over the years. Uh, I just finished a book uh, on homebrew, and I talked to Ben uh, about how to brew modern American IPAs, and mm -hmm. he's we sat down and we started talking about it, and he blew my mind. Um, Actually, I think I may be blending this. I think he may have blown my mind before we sat down, <laughs> and that's why we sat. That's why I chose him, and yeah. then he continued to blow my mind even more. But he um, he so historically, which is to say, the last thousand years of brewing, uh, humans have always used hops as uh, a way of, of disinfecting the beer. That's mm -hmm. what it's. It's an antimicrobial. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Yeah. And the the secondary effect of adding uh, bittering. Uh, balance to malt mm -hmm. was was something that was an effect that that they discovered hops had the capacity to do. But right. before there were hops, they used the sweetness of malt. They accentuated it with with different kinds of herbs and spices mm -hmm. very often, so they would get very sweet beer. So the balancing thing is kind of a a modern hmm. uh, innovation if if you consider a thousand years modern and, uh -huh. and the ten thousand year history of, of beer, it kind of is. Hmm. 
Um, so classically, and, in, and basically every beer style I've ever heard of, every beer I've read about um, that that was made, uh, you know, that there are records for, mm -hmm. the bitter charge is always the, the largest uh, amount of hops, no matter what style it is, even if it's not a hoppy style, mm -hmm. because you want to have the the antimicrobial quality. That's the whole point of this. Right. So you would have, you know, it's a kind of a classic thing when we, we just talked about English beers. It's kind of a classic thing in, in English cask beers that you have a two-thirds, one-thirds thing. You have two-thirds of your bitterness comes from uh, the the bitter charge and one-third comes from later later editions. Mm -hmm. um, oh, when we get to American beers, all of a sudden people like Ben are trying to pimp this uh, aroma. Yeah. And so the way you get aroma is you put it later, later and later and later. Right. And so they were dumping these bales of hops in late in the late edition and they were getting just super viciously bitter hops. And they started to realize what's happening is we're getting, we're extracting way more bitterness out of these late edition hops than any of the algorithms uh, ever suggested we right. would. Right, right, right. And the reason is because nobody's ever brewed like that. So nobody right. had any idea if you like put four pounds per barrel of hops in it at, at, <laughs> at the at the hot in the hot back or the whirlpool. What happens? Well, nobody had ever done it, so yeah. we didn't. So it turns out you don't even really need a bitter charge at all, right? So they they were stripping it way back, and mm -hmm. um, uh, Ben says he puts a bitter charge. So that means the first the first amount of hops in there primarily for what he calls kettle performance, which means um, uh, home brewers will know that they're at the, when the, when the beer comes to boil, there's a thing, the classic boil over uh, all the proteins come together and create this massive head. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it will, it will, it will boil, boil over, but um, hop oils are a way of breaking that up. Right. So you put, if you have a bitter charge in there, it will break up the boil over and give you better kettle performance. So yeah. he, he puts in a little bit there and, um, in my, in my article, I, I wrote, uh, it's often the case that, um, a brewery will use 50 pounds of hops for a 10 barrel batch of beer, mm -hmm. uh, in the course of, of, of making it and about two and, and maybe no more than two, two of those pounds will go in in the bitter charge. Right. And I couldn't believe it. So I sent Ben an email. Is this right? And he's like, yeah, that's probably a little bit more, like I don't think we use that much, but yeah, that's fine. You can say that. And I even got an email from Stan Hieronymus, who wrote, literally wrote the book about hops, and he's like, "I think that's excessive." And I'm like, "No, man, I, 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 yeah. I, I did bounce this off of Ben, and it's how they're doing." And yep. I, I talked to other brewers. So too. that's so that's a modern IPA of which Breakside is. And by the way, I think they that this this IPA won gold at the JBF last time around. I think yeah, two, maybe two times around. Yeah, two two years ago. Yeah. Uh, Mm. And it's not just Ben. I mean, uh, we give Ben a lot of credit here, partly because uh, he's, yeah, he's local. We know him. He's local. We know him. He's he's kind of an educator. He's a smart guy who knows how to talk about beer. So he he, he he's he's a good explainer. Mm -hmm. uh, so we we rely on him to tell us what's happening. But when I did this article, I talked to people um, in, in New York and uh, Virginia, like all over the country. They're doing this. When I was in Tampa, yeah. I tasted an IPA that was like this, and I asked them how they were doing yeah. it. These guys were home brewers yeah. who had gone pro, and they'd only been in business six months, and they'd already figured this out. Like, yeah. it's just the natural progression of things when you when you're trying to get that much aroma. Eventually, you realize. Yeah, if you, you want to, so if you want to know the the most Portland story ever, so I went, I had a. I had a um, a spot that I had to get checked out by a dermatologist. So my dermatologist in Portland, of course, is a home brewer. Right. I mean, w why wouldn't he be? And he and, he and everybody else. And he, of course, uh, when we were talking about home brewing, we, so I don't know how we ended up discovering that 
we had this shared interest in beer and homebrewing. <laughs> but he then... Because all, all subjects turn to beer in all Oregon. All subjects turn to beer in <laughs> Oregon and Portland. And he was educating me. This was, you know, this was 18 months ago or something, or two years ago. He was educating me. Like, no, 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 no. You've got to put all your hops in the hop bag. Like, you throw everything in the hop bag. You want one of these modern IPAs. This is what you do. It turns out he was exactly right. Right. My dermatologist, homebrewer. Yeah. And and to give both your book credit and to, to to shill your book and to give some uh, love to Ben Edmonds, you have a an IPA recipe in there from yeah. Ben Edmonds that we used yes. to brew maybe the best homebrew we've ever done. Um, it was a session IPA. Full disclosure, not entirely intentionally session IPA. Yeah, we, <laughs> but may, certainly, an IPA was our intention. May have slightly missed our gravity. <laughs> we may have, we may, <laughs> Our efficiency may have been slightly low, but uh, but it's 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 a phenomenal beer. Yeah, so, it's so, amazing, and we I think it was the Ben Edmonds beer. So buy Jeff's forthcoming book on home brewing, which is a year away. So which is a year away. So don't, don't look for so it. So save no, soon. start saving now. Yeah, uh, right. And then when you get that book, uh, try that recipe because I think if you like hops, if you love the aroma, flavor characters of hops, you'll you'll love this. So. Uh, Wow. Uh, this IPA is amazing. It's got amazing fruit and floral characteristics. Uh, I don't even know how to well, how to go on. Um, but it doesn't have that face-melting bitterness anymore. It's something you could keep. This is a biggish beer. You could, keep, you could, you could drink it for a while, but you get pretty drunk. Um, they also yeah. have a lunch break IPA, which is a session IPA, right. um, which has many of the same flavor and floral characteristics in a smaller beer. Um, but yeah, that was one of the interesting things Ben told me is that he doesn't even think about um, uh, uh, IBUs anymore. He thinks about pounds per barrel. Yeah. So no matter what beer he's making, he thinks about pounds per barrel. Mm-hmm. And um, you can you can scale these. And if you're making a, a session IPA, a regular IPA, a double or triple IPA, um, he thinks about them all the same way. Yeah. And uh, he yeah. just he just alters the. The malt bill to, you know. That's right. So when you get away from all of that crazy bitterness, you don't have to worry so much about the balance with the malt bill. Right. Really just what you're teasing out is all of these flavor and aroma characteristics. Um, and so you can adjust the malt bill as, as you like. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a radical. So we've, we've gone through, we didn't have a German beer or Czech beer here, but we've gone through these different uh, s- styles of beer, which, and, and Patrick mentioned the cultural element and the thing that, that is so interesting to me and amazing to me. And, and the thing that, that I took away, it's not actually explicitly said so much in the beer Bible, but the thing that the beer Bible taught me was that like cuisine, beer is this cultural expression, you know, Germans and French yep. have access to the same vegetables. Like mm-hmm. they grow the same climate. Their cuisines are radically different. Yeah. Uh, and beer is the same way. We have access to barley, halt, malt, hops, yeast. Yep. But we come up with really different ways to do it. And for the first time since 1852, when the Czechs invented Pilsner, we mm-hmm. have this whole national, new national tradition that has developed where a country does something that's completely weird and looks unlike the process anybody else does anywhere else. And this thing, the, this article that I wrote, I think really drives that home, mm-hmm. is we all, as our palates are all going in this direction, this this IPA, this this really rich aromatic, um, flavorful IPA, but not bitter. 
brewers just naturally like followed the progression. Like we got to follow our we got to follow our palate. This is the way it's heading. We want more aroma. We want more flavor. Yep. We got to put more more hops in the end. We put more hops in the end. <laughs> it means we get too much bitterness. We got to take hops out of the front end. And and everybody was kind of discovering this at the same time because of this kind of cultural phenomenon that's happened. And we end up with these beers like this Breakside IPA that are. Uh, basically unprecedented in the history of brewing. Nobody's yeah. ever made beers like this. Yeah. And here we are in America doing it. And now, amazingly, people in England are making beers like this. People in Prague are making beers like this because they've tasted these American beers. And much like when we taste these beers from, like a Saison DuPont, and everybody wants to make a Saison DuPont in America, when everybody in Prague and, and London tastes taste a beer like breakside they're like holy crap i gotta make that that's amazing yeah and i can't wait to hear i can't wait to taste the the, the sort of local versions of of this beer but i think that's a that's a really good note to, to to end on since this is our celebration of beer and despite the fact that we we vowed never to do a pod based on <laughs> talking about beer that's right but we would we, you know celebration of beer we gotta yeah so i mean i think that's, we have to just stop I, but, and but i think that was a beautiful i think that was a beautiful soliloquy that that allows us to end and, and, and no, no, no. Are you really, trying to tell me not to spoil it by no, rattling on? Yeah. Further? Yeah. Don't, don't. <laughs> I do. I do tend to ruin things. <laughs> it only gets worse. After uh, no, but that's a great way to end. It's sort of this, this pod was designed to be uh, a pod about why we love beer so much. And that's right. We, lo we do love beer and, and uh, our history uh, goes back um into the 1980s. Mm -hmm. Patrick and I started drinking beer together in the 1980s. We were so into beer that when we when we got to Madison, Wisconsin to go to grad school in uh, the mid-90s, mm -hmm. uh, we were already well deeply into our beer geekiness and they didn't have enough good beer there and that's when we started home brewing together because right. we were like this this we don't we can't find the good beer here so we're gonna have to make it ourselves we wandered down to state street to the wine and hop shop i wonder if it still exists if I so shout out to you wine and hop shop wine and hop shop <laughs> we taught them how, taught them how to pronounce the name willamette <laughs> <laughs> when we told them we were from oregon they were really impressed yeah <laughs> that's a good a good calling card so, so yeah patrick and i have loved beer for a long time uh and um we hope this podcast is uh, a way for us to to reflect some of the yeah both an expression of that love and also a way to hopefully educate others and, and, right. and try yeah. to help them love beer the way we do we now have some actual expertise in certain elements related to beer so that's that was that was your original idea about this whole thing so yeah absolutely all right let's let's uh let's pick a beer to go out i'm gonna pick the english the the stiff upper lip upper lip esb from ex novo but it's basically an english extra special bitter I'll go for uh, I'll go for the guz. <laughs> Frank Bone. Everything's hard to pronounce in, in Belgium, so well, I might as well go for it. Guz. Absolutely. All right, Jeff. Well, uh, God save the queen. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Cheers. What do they? How, what do they? Say? Uh, well, I was really fighting off a of, uh, uh, saying something uh, not family friendly about the Queen there. Some kind of, uh, some kind of Republican. Uh, uh, something. something Sid Vicious might have said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know how to go, Jeff. By the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Royals. All right. Um, America. How about that? <laughs> America. All right. <laughs> Cheers, Jeff. Cheers.